Saturday marks the anniversary of the first confirmed case of COVID-19 in Kentucky. State officials were initially skeptical. They refused to test the patient who lives in Cynthiana, Kentucky, and had no travel history. WFPL's Ryan Van Velzer spoke with Harrison Memorial Hospital CEO Sheila Currens about how she and others identified the state's first confirmed case. My name is Sheila Currens, and I'm the CEO of Harrison Memorial Hospital. I've been CEO for 11 years. I came as a student nurse in, um, in 1973. It probably is going to end up being the most challenging year that I've had. I compare it really to AIDS. When HIV first came on the scene, I was practicing RN in the emergency room, and I had never prior to that time started an IV with a glove on. And that was new and different to all of us that had been in healthcare for many years. But we adapted and you understood it because of the signs that could identify this new disease. And so in late January and into February, we were distributing information. We had a planning committee for emergency management. We did a tabletop exercise, went through a whole surge potential that could happen if Cynthiana, by some strange phenomenon, we ended up with it here in Kentucky and in Cynthiana, Kentucky, never dreaming that we would be the first in Kentucky. In the town of Cynthiana, it's less than 6,000. The county is uh, between 18 and 19,000. So yes, we're a small rural community. I believe it was in Harrison County at the earliest by mid-February, but more likely toward the end of February. We had our first confirmed case by March 6th. We had actually had this patient come to our hospital as a patient earlier in that week. She was a fairly young individual. She had a fever. She had a cough. She had what I call generalized weakness and fatigue. We had instituted by that time all the recommended questions. Have you recently traveled? Have you traveled to China? Uh, Have you had any other foreign travel? We ask a multitude of questions. Her answer was no. And we admitted her, and I remember talking to her primary care doctor, and Dr. Mulberry said, you know, she's pretty sick. He said, we need to talk about this because I think we need to request the test. And I said, listen, if you think we need to request it, we'll request it. She doesn't have any travel history, but we'll sure do that. We both called together. We talked at the state level. They were very interested in knowing everything we knew, and they called back, and they were denying the test, and they gave us the reason, and I understood the reason. You know, there's absolutely no travel connection. We continued to care for the patient. The next day, she very significantly decompensated. We intubated her, and we got her transferred to the University of Kentucky. She was exceedingly sick. The appearance of the pneumonia that she had was very similar to the evidence we were reading. It's subjective, but it has a very broken glass type of appearance that is kind of 
unlike any other pneumonia you see. And UK went ahead and made additional requests for the testing. And UK was able to get it. And of course, on March 6th, Friday, that swab is complete and it is positive. And so the county judge executive was the person that was notified. He then immediately called me and said, you're about to get a call from the state public health. We evidently have the first case of COVID. Once March 6th happened, you just were at work all the time after that. We started getting phone calls from some of our other medical staff members who were treating patients in the community with the help of our local health department, WEDCO, Members of this hospital met with members of WEDCO as we had a compilation of multiple patients, less than 20. And we literally, I remember that day that we sat out at the WEDCO office and we literally listed and created a grid to find linkages. So early, early contact tracing, if you will. The more you learned about how the disease spread at that time, you may or may not remember, everybody thought it was on every piece of mail. It was on, you know, then we've since learned it's much more likely that the spread actually comes through the respiratory droplet. The linkages we found help support respiratory, singing and gathering. And it's true that church events and choirs and choir practices probably were causative events. What we then, of course, learned is that there had been a connection to probably the person that this young lady had come in contact with who had traveled, come to find out, but just to California. And so we spent a lot of time in those early months doing a lot of uh, community training, community dialogue. I, I don't even want to tell you how many times we were on our local radio. And I will say that in our community, just our service community, I think generally more than 85% tried to do the right thing. I think I've been in the middle of this for too many months now, so I have a pretty strong opinion. I know it's real. I know it's been the most devastating disease that I've seen that was so highly infectious. She had a prolonged stay at the University of Kentucky. Um, she was um, ill for longer than I'm sure she ever expected because she was a young, healthy woman. Uh, but she did recover and came back home. It took her a few weeks then to kind of recuperate fully, and then she returned to her job. I'm kind of a just deal with it and move on type of person. So for about two minutes, I kind of had a meltdown. Really, right after I talked to Dr. Stack, who was the first person after the county judge, and when I hung up the phone, I, it took me a couple of minutes to think, oh, what? I, I, I couldn't even put it all together for just about two minutes. And then it's like everything else. You gotta figure it out and you gotta get going because you see there's a lot of people that have been impacted. So you move on from there and you don't look back. Music for this story was composed by Louisville-based musician Noah Barker. 
Hear and read more from our two-part series at WFPL.org.